This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Morena Mohammed. Morning, Catherine. How are you? Really good, thank you. Happiness and a sense of belonging at school is key for children's progress and good health. Our guest is Mohammed Alansari, Senior Researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research, where they've recently been looking at the key influences on student well-being, and particularly that of Māori students. All right, Mohammed. so let's look at what we're talking about with a concept mm. such as a sense of belonging. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that sense of belonging, feeling safe in school, seeing who you are, your identity reflected in school life is important. It's good for kids' development, it's good for their learning, it's good for positive attitudes and engagement. Um, We also know from talking to school leaders over 2020 and 2021 that a lot of schools have thought carefully about how to foster these things during lockdown, pre and post lockdown, and to engage students back One of the things that a lot of school leaders have told us in the past year is that they've been experiencing low attendance. They've been saying things like they don't think the kids are there with them as much as they were before, whether that's in person or online. And so a lot of um, school leaders really talked about focusing on well-being and factoring and supporting well-being and resilience as part of the annual goals. So it's no longer just about making teaching learning plans to raise scholastic achievement and whatnot, but also to put on the social emotional learning, the well-being, the resilience strategies that kids need in order for them to bounce back in face of crises. So, so that's, mm, yeah, no, on, I was going to say, so um, your lesson planning, as we said, isn't about what's happening when and now uh, and tomorrow and next week in the, in the um, curriculum. It's more mm. about the human elements here. Well, exactly right. Because really, we might not, uh, it's, it's not so much just about COVID anymore. It's a matter of how do we future-proof and how do we create resilience and resilient schooling for kids such that they'll be able to bounce back, troubleshoot, if you want to call it that way, in face of any crises or any disruptions to teaching or learning. And that's really the crux of the recent NZCR report that we produced about looking at good practice schools and what is it that they do to support well-being in times like these and for schools who looking ahead in 2022 and beyond, what might they factor in as part of um, their planning for the new year. So what were some of your conclusions and your recommendations? They've gone above and beyond. That's that's really the, the, the conclusion, which was really heartwarming to see. Um, and what was really nice is that schools have taken a holistic view of learning, teaching and well-being. They've acknowledged that everything they do in and out of the school will contribute to kids' learning. They've acknowledged that building resilience, helping kids' well-being takes time, it takes collective effort, you need to be strength-based, and it takes a lot of resourcing. A lot of schools have talked about developing, for example, a feelings curriculum. What that means is that they're factored in time slots during the day where they talk about strategies for kids to manage their feelings. What does it mean when they feel certain ways? Let's talk about anxiety and tension. Why might you feel that way? And when you get those signs, what are some of the strategies that you might do or the solutions that you might engage in to mitigate any kind of negative feelings or emotions that you're feeling? And that's something that's now seems to be emphasised much more so than before, and arguably because of disruptions um, like the ones that COVID have done.
The other thing that school leaders have talked about is how they've increased the frequency of communication and interaction with whānau and families and the mode. Teachers and schools more broadly have really taken the time to get to know the learners and what's happening at home. They understood the possible barriers to, to, to teaching and learning from home. Um, what are the resources that exist and what are the resources that don't exist? And they've developed a plan to support um, families and whānau and try and remove as much as possible from these um, barriers so that the kids re-engage positively in learning. We've shown examples of how some teachers have gone above and beyond where they've helped parents and whānau have access to health services, social services, much beyond than what you'd expect from, from from the education sector really, but just to make sure that the kids don't fall behind and that the kids can still engage in learning, whether that's in person or online. That was a really nice finding actually. The other thing that some of the schools have done is that they've identified what you would think of as um, champions, school champions in wellbeing and learning. Those are people who the kids look up to, the school looks up to, but also they're seen as leaders to the community. It's the people who people from the community can go to and raise any concerns or just highlight and ask for updates. And that seems to be really well received by families. They know who to go and talk to when they have specific queries. That was quite nice. Um, the other thing that school leaders have focused more on is that really they, they decided that if well-being is going to be a focus, if resilience and developing resilient strategies is going to be focused, let's put it part of our annual goals. Let's have professional learning and development that focus on how we can grow further in that space. What are some of the things that we could think of? And that was also really good because we know that professional learning opportunities and development is a strong predictor of how kids react and how kids feel in the class because it enhances teachers' practice. It makes things better for the kids eventually. Um, the other thing that um, schools have done as well is that they've taken the orientation of let's focus less on the crisis and the problem and the negative things. Let's focus more on the positive. What are the strength-based approaches that we want? What are the desired outcomes? What do we want to see more of? And they just focus on those. Whether that's identifying what kids are passionate about, um, and therefore let's do more of these, whether it's listening more to what final and students want and let's incorporate that as part of our planning. So there seems to be a greater deal of relationships and partnerships that's taking place in schools that are doing really well with supporting teaching, learning and wellbeing. It was really great to talk the other day to uh, Leanne Otani, who is the principal of Manaya View in Whangarei. And much of what you've mm. talked about, was, she's, she's just won the um, National Excellence in Teaching Awards, two of them. Yes. Much of what you talked about really aligns with what she was talking about, really going out of your way, especially at a time like this, but actually in general, mm. to, have, to build relationships with whānau. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in touch all the time. She said, look, no. You might be together in the ice cream shop. <laughs> just just connect. <laughs> connect. That's right. Yeah. And um, really just also I took from this listening to the families. And I know this is, can be challenging in schools because there could be mm. some people who seem to monopolise all your time and, you know, um, suck all the oxygen out of out, out of the room, really. <laughs> but but they, they, are, they are possibly the, the minority. They, they learned from what their whānau were telling them about, what they could deal with in this circumstance at home, and they they adapted and adjusted to that. So really, those yep. those really strong relationships. But the other one is, it's kind of obvious, but we could easily overlook it. None of mm. us is going to learn or perform 
if we're distracted by other things like anxiety exactly or, right. or, or like a, you know, not having the tools we need to do what we're doing. Tell me about the sense of calm, and, and this, was an, this was something else you point out in the report, that the transitions mm. were managed to create a sense of calm and a sense of belonging. And that might mean yes. not appearing to do very much in order to achieve a great deal. Mm-mm. So one of the things that we're finding in schools in that report and across actually is that a lot of um, um, students are talking to their families and their schools about their sense of anxiety and tension with going back to school. Um, what if things don't work out well? Um, are we going to get COVID as soon as we walk into the door? Um, that level of tension. Um, do we? Can we leave the house and feel safe? And so one of the things that schools had to do is to engage with parents and kids much more about about COVID more broadly, but also what is this pandemic? And when schools, sorry, when students got back to school, teachers have factored in time to answer any questions the kids might have. And it might be um, intense or silly. Well, in our eyes, it could be silly, but not in theirs, really. And so factoring in times like that, um, celebrating as they go, one of the things that schools have done is that they celebrated simple milestones. If the child has been in the school for about a month, let us celebrate the fact that you guys have been here in person for a month. You know, And so they created this positive, warm and supportive climate for students. And that way students start feeling much better about going back. They've answered all of their queries and they've had the time and the space for kids to voice their concerns. Some other schools have decided to put Um, student-led groups and student leaders who will champion issues like that, who will lead initiatives, who will tell the school about some of the things that they think will make a difference for kids' learning and to reduce the levels of anxiety. So there's all these nice initiatives, and it's exactly what you said. It's little things, but because they're little things, we sometimes overlook them. But to kids, those are actually the things that are most impactful. Is there anything Mm. looking forward because the pain in the proverbial about this whole damn pandemic is that it's not over yet, right? <laughs> Far from <No. laughs> it. And, and our moods are shifting and our emotions about it are shifting and it's a bit more, it's becoming a bit more business as usual, even though that is very, very stressful for a lot of people, right? The, the shock yeah. side yeah. of it's kind of gone now. Um, and yeah. a, a, now that we're at this phase and you're looking ahead from the perspective of schools and teachers and educators and, and family, what would be yeah. your takeout for planning ahead in a circumstance mm, where mm. it's so difficult to plan? Um, one of the things that we've been trying to encourage people to think about and embrace is to embrace uncertainty. Um, and that although we might not be able to control Delta directly or one-on-one, what we can control and work on and embrace is our actions, is our resilience-focused strategies. And so a lot of the work that we've been focusing on now in terms of planning is how to future-proof. Do we have the infrastructure and the systems in place? Should we go down the route of another lockdown or any other any other kind of disruption to teaching and learning, really? But one of the things that we're finding is that um, parents, schools, teachers and leaders and whatnot who are really tense and anxious about it, may, they may have not embrace uncertainty and, and they're really desperate to go back to normal um to the norm rather than rather than embrace the fact that now today's normal is not going to be the same as last year's normal I, I don't think we'll ever be able to go back to zero we might go back to normal 2.0 and and therefore we've got to rethink what might that look like what additional support we might need what are the things that we thought 
that they plan C's and D's, but now they might need to be plan A's and B's. And so really thinking differently about how we plan and future-proof, being proactive and anticipating things that could go wrong, and hopefully they don't. Um, and so I think that's kind of the key message from this. We need to keep up, to keep being proactive rather than reactive in face of crises like this. Mohammed, thank you very, very much for all your contributions this year. I hope there's a really good family time and holiday season ahead for you. I hope so, and happy holidays to you too, Catherine. Thank you. Mohammed Al-Azari, Senior Researcher at the New Zealand Council for Educational Research.